welcome to episode four of the Total Athlete Podcast. Uh, back with Tom. Hey. And we've had a little break for a while just uh, due to business. <laughs> that business. Business thing. That business thing. Haven't you actually been on holiday? Um, yeah, I went to New York, France, and you've been to uh, Sweden. That was months ago. <laughs> what, that was before we even started the podcast. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Was it? Yes. It was February. I've been away for a bit. You've uh, been away for a bit. I went to Manchester on a call <laughs> for three days. <laughs> I was been doing nothing. <laughs> Just work, work, work. So today we're going to be talking about energy systems. Um, bit of a Q and A session. Yeah. This is Tom's forte, really. So I'm going to be asking him a few questions. Well, I say it's my forte. It's just what I'm most interested in. Yeah. There's other people out there. And I'm not interested in one bit, so we're going to ask you the question. No, I am interested in it. I like uh, all the energy systems and... um, You like them all? (laughs) They're all good, guys. And uh, we hang out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like them. I mean, probably aerobics my favourite in like... Yeah, no, he's no, just a nicer guy. CP battery all the way. Uh, that yeah. oh mate, me and CP battery have a couple of beers. Oh yeah, yeah, decent. Just chill. Okay. Right. Okay. Mm. So, should we take it from here then? Yeah. Energy systems. There are three energy systems, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, generally speaking, uh, to keep it as simple as possible, we've got aerobic, glycolytic, and creatine phosphate systems and that is quite a basic look at it you can go into textbooks and divide it into more little sections um, <clears throat> I think most people will will sort of associate aerobic with longer slower sustainable work so classically we're thinking about like marathon runners um, the Tour de France if we're talking about sports um, things like that glycolytic there's actually not that many sports which are truly glycolytic mm-hmm. um CrossFit potentially could be one of them. So, what would um, we mean by a glycolytic? Glycolytic kind of... just means that the it's the energy system that is fueled uh, predominantly by sugar um, and uh, carbohydrates. So, it's shorter, much more intense, unsustainable work. So, you've got to talk about un- the sustainability of it in terms of aerobic and glycolytic. Um, glycolytic is definitely unsustainable. So, if we talk about um, in relation to CrossFit. You do like if we're talking about a good level athlete um, doing 50 calories, maximum effort on the assault bike, not truly maximal effort. Mm-hmm. If you go truly maximal, you're not going to be able to repeat that, okay? And your energy system will be fueled um, not aerobically but glycolytically. And um, you, I think someone knows when they've gone truly max effort. If you feel like you could repeat it, then actually you're probably aerobic. Yeah, in yeah, that. Yeah. It might have been a tough aerobic effort, but it was probably aerobic. Um, creatine phosphate, um, that's the one that we all classically think of in terms of shorter, more intense work. So heavy back squats. One uh, rep maxes. Yeah, one rep maxes, um, but also just muscular work. So maybe like a strict um, maximal set of handstand push-ups. Um, maybe crossing over into sort of like muscular endurance yeah. depends on the athlete so one thing to say is it all depends um, it does all depend on the athlete and there's no like there's no black and white dividing line between the energy mm-hmm. energy systems we're using all of them all the time so right now standing here I would hazard an educated guess that we're predominantly aerobic, aerobic. yeah um, but we will be using the creatine phosphate system to pick up the phone to turn that switch yeah um because 
those contractions are very, very small compared to lifting a one-minute max back squat, but they're still those contractions of the muscle. Because you can go through one energy system to get to another energy system. Yeah, well, they're all constantly like interplaying. Mm -hmm. So let's just say that we got on the assault bike and I told you just go as hard as you could for as long as you could. Yeah. Initially, the first couple of seconds, you're going to be using creatine phosphate to really rev that bike up. And then the first, then if you're going as hard as you can, the next maybe 45 seconds, predominantly, you're going to be glycolytic. And then after that, your power is going to really drop off and you're going to have to sustain a lower pace to keep moving. Otherwise, you're going to stop or die. Yeah. Um, and you're going to go into an aerobic system. So, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of. Okay. Um, so we're going to... We're basically talking about uh, these energy systems in CrossFit as a sport. Uh, we're not talking kind of your uh, well, your yeah. daily your daily CrossFitter is just going in for one hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can talk about the difference between the two. Um, a lot of people, I think, are coming around to the idea that cross um, the sport of fitness, I think we should call it, yeah. is more of an aerobic sport. Mm -hmm. um, and if we are talking specifically about <clears throat> HQ's events, so the games and the road to the games, you actually have three different sports within that. The open, regionals and games are completely different. Um, the best way I could think of an analogy is it's like playing rugby union yeah, and then the next stage is playing rugby league and then the last stage is playing American football. Right, like, okay. They're all similar, yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah. but they're actually pretty different sports. Mm -hmm. Um so, uh, I I think generally speaking, it's fair to say that the sport of fitness is an aerobic dominant sport, and you need to be successful. You need to have a very very solid aerobic base. Um, you need to be able to produce energy aerobically at a high power output. Uh, if you look at the best in the sport, Rich Froning, for example, he's probably the most successful CrossFitter ever. Yeah. Um, he is constant and paced. Yeah, he's con he, the work he does is almost always sustainable. Um, and you look at him compared to a mere mortal like us, and he's getting like two minutes on Fran, resting a few seconds, and then going on to do like, when he does fantasy land, for example, like he's moving on to the next bit, heavier barbell, and it's chest bar, and then another heavier barbell, and it's bar muscle ups. And he's just doing that and breathing as if he was like out for a, a moderate run. Mm -hmm. um, for someone like me, like I'd do Fran, and I'd be like struggling, I'd be hurting pretty bad. And then I'd go on and my power output would drum, drop dramatically. So I'm being unsustainable there if I was trying to keep up with him. But he's just keeping it aerobic. So um, is he purposely training different systems, would you say? Uh, I, I can't comment on like him, but I think um, if we look at some of the most successful CrossFitters, they come from a background where they've spent years developing time under tension. In that's, that's years for <laughs> anyone else. I'm from Tut North. <laughs> Tut North, Tut North. Years. Um, they've spent years developing lots of time under tension um, in terms of weightlifting and strength training. A lot of them come from uh, like a bro science bodybuilding background. Yeah. I don't use the word bro science uh, in a derogatory way. It's just a lot of them come from being like gym monkeys yeah. uh, in the gym, doing chest, buys, lats, all that sort of stuff. Um, and they're building up a massive foundation of muscular endurance there. And, and then we build up an aerobic base. Um, some of them have come from cyclical sports. Some of them come from sports like soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a little bit more intensity. We're doing 500 meter repeats there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the same theory. Right, okay. So we're basically, um, we, we, 
looking at our threshold of what work we can do and we're just staying under that all the time. We may be flirting with it a little bit, we're going up to it and then coming back down. That's what we do with interval work. Yeah. But at the start of the season, we're going to be doing longer, longer sessions, uh, maybe like 15, 20 minutes on an assault bike or a rower. For a more powerful athlete in particular, teaching the body how to pace, how to do that work, building up that, um, that cardiovascular system. Uh, teaching it how to produce energy and we've got you've got to take a patient approach with that and see it as like we need to put in years of work here to to build it rather than like in two months i'm going to build a good aerobic system if we're talking about like the sport of fitness we're talking long-term development Mm -hmm. um the best people in the sport have put years upon years upon years of work in people look at matt fraser and they say he's, he's only been in the sport for three or four years he was a national weightlifter, weightlifter before that. Before that, like, if you look at Briggs as well. Yeah, she was. Um, what was she? Uh, endurance running she? and stuff like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before, long before. It doesn't surprise me. You look at her entry; she's got a massive entry. Um, look at Josh Bridges. He was uh, a Navy SEAL. Huge engine, just mm-hmm. like tons and tons of aerobic work and muscular endurance work. Yeah. You, like, if you know anything about sort of like special forces selection for them, they're just doing loads of push-ups, pull-ups, dips squats running on the sand um and he's just building a huge foundation there uh, upon which we can intensify within crossfit if you look at most of the um the top athletes they've all come from something yeah there's no real anomalies exactly they're like spieler wrestler before yeah huge um, engine again and the problem is people come into the sport without that foundation background and they think oh yeah they've done it in a year i can do it in a year yeah. And the reality is you can't. You have to put the work in. You don't just suddenly get that engine. Um, and so it depends what background you come from. Someone might come from a background where they've done no conditioning work and they've just been in the gym the whole time. And they've been doing classic bodybuilding stuff, so like bench press, lap pull downs. Which was my, basically my background after school and finishing football, uh, probably, I don't know, 17, 18. And just went into the kind of bodybuilding style yeah. things. Um, and yeah, then, then wanted to do CrossFit as a sport, yeah, it's a, it's a massive culture shock. And so building an aerobic system for you is quite an important thing. Yeah, Teaching yeah. your body how to produce energy sustainably. Um, <clears throat> and we have to bring that up at either end. So we bring up our strength and our muscular endurance at one end and we bring up our aerobic system at the other end of the spectrum. And then if we're talking about the sport, we then need to intensify as we approach competition and bring up that glycolytic system. Mm-hmm. Now the thing about the glycolytic system is that it, um, the intensity that the body's working at and the effect it has on the central nervous system means that it's very difficult to develop the aerobic and the creatine phosphate system at the same time. And so they will actually drop off a little bit as we peak, as we intensify. Why are you trying to peak that? The glycolytic system, because mm-hmm. that, um, so if we think about that as being like between 10 seconds and two to three minutes of maximal unsustainable work. And in theory, that's what's going to be in these competitions. It's more about teaching your body how it feels to go there. And so if in a competition, let's say you're doing a 10 minute AMRAP and it's, it's, it's got to be a sustainable aerobic piece for 10 minutes, but in a competition, you can't control the pace that everyone else is going at and you can't control the fact that you have to go pretty hard. And so We've spent all year just staying away from that threshold, but if in competition you're forced into that threshold, you need to know what it feels like. You need to be comfortable, isn't it? Yeah, and you need to be able to push hard to finish that that sort of like 10 minute piece, the last two minutes are fucking going all in. We need to teach the body how to do that. Yeah, And so we're peaking that as we approach competition for most people. Um, And 
that is where we start to like overreach and reach over training and people are like feeling pretty crappy they dread the like lactic work um, and truly lactic intervals need to be very short periods of work followed by very long periods of rest right, so okay. if you're doing a 20 second lactic piece on the assault bike you'd be resting for like three or four minutes and people look at that and they're like 20 seconds of work and then i'm resting three All minutes that, yeah. what the what's the point like but if you're going truly hard enough you need that rest to recover properly um and if you're doing like a two-minute piece, you're going to be resting like 15, 20 minutes. So why would we be going all out, say, for 30 seconds with a 30-second rest and repeating four times? So, uh, like, I've been programmed a... Uh, that tester? Yeah, the tester. So that's more to give us an insight into your um, uh, your makeup. So let's take two different ends of the spectrum there, okay? Let's take really powerful guy... Um, naturally really strong yeah, musk <laughs> I'm just looking at your face <laughs> um, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's you really, if you that's, like that's... really muscular balding <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry let's say balding <laughs> that's how I talk oh my god in the bath um, what was I talking about um, so yeah a really powerful guy muscular uh, you can just see his natural affinity like with quick explosive movements on that tester four sets of 30 seconds on the rower at maximum effort 30 seconds rest on the rower and he's going to get a really high power output on that first one potentially and then it's going to drop off dramatically so you're not really testing output you're testing recovery yeah we, we, it gives us an indication of just roughly where someone sits and it's a good thing to retest and see what we've developed mm -hmm. so a more aerobic athlete say someone who's got a background in endurance training they struggle to create that real like high intensity they're going to get a much lower sort uh, initial score on that first 30 seconds but it's going to be much Consistent. less drop off yeah okay um so let's say the first um the powerful guy gets like 190 meters um but then the next one's like 181 meters and then it's like 170 160. 160 and then the last one's just like he's barely hanging on yeah um whereas the enduring guy gets like 160 meters and then it's like 159 meters and then the last one second the third one's like 155 and then the last one might be 152 much less drop off yeah but much less power initially mm -hmm. and it gives you a little indication as to where people sit and it's important to recognize that and um in terms of prescribing work to them in their training it's a, a way of seeing where people sit on that so the really powerful guy and we're very careful about giving him mixed aerobic work because he's going to struggle to make that truly aerobic yeah so giving him 15 calorie air bike 15 kettlebell swings 10 burpees for 10 minutes he's going to make that lactic he might he might make it seem aerobic but he's going to make that lactic potentially the really enduring guy is going to find it a lot easier to make things aerobic mm -hmm. but you need to bring his strength levels up so that he can create more power within that that's a very basic look, way of looking at it and it's something that I'm still like trying to develop my knowledge on and understanding of on um that tester comes from opex um and um like everything I've learned around that and energy systems really comes from OPEX or Training Think Tank and their way of doing things. Um, all the textbooks and stuff, they don't relate to CrossFit. Mm. We don't have any textbooks on CrossFit. It's just people who have been in the trenches for like 10 or 15 years doing coaching and looking at the results they're getting with their athletes 
and doing sort of lab work on them, uh, they're the ones who are coming out with these answers and filtering the knowledge out to the rest of us. Yeah. Um, and then I try and implement that with my athletes and see what happens, basically. Um, it's, so it's, it's all testing, isn't it? Like testing for you, to, um, yeah. for anyone in CrossFit, mm-hmm. anyone coaching CrossFit. This is Things all you unknown can, territory to some extent. To a certain extent, like if you think about the history of physiology and the history of sport, CrossFit is a tiny little, or well, sport fitness is a tiny little blip on the map at the yeah. moment. Um, and it's, but it's, we can we can utilize things from other sports, which yeah, helps definitely. So rowing as sport rowing and running like um aerobic progressions yeah understanding those strength training progressions and understanding those and strength systems and the task is just making those fit into crossfit as sport and the top crossfitters really are physiological anomalies they're doing things which really the textbooks say they shouldn't be able to do yeah and it's showing us a how amazing the human body is and b we never know anything. Like yeah. the more you know, the less you know. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Uh, you look at the numbers that people are throwing around, and uh, then the uh, output they're putting into their conditioning pieces is pretty amazing. Um, and that just, for me, comes from massively developed aerobic systems and very well de- developed skill and strength systems, which are then, whether they know it or not, they're peaking um, quite well close to competition. Now. There's only so long you can peak a system for, and so someone who peaks for the open, and then maybe qualifies for regionals, and then they have another mini peak for regionals, they're gonna if they go to the games, they're gonna be maybe a bit burnt out by the games. But the best crossfitters in the world are resilient. Consistent throughout. They're resilient. They basically can just take whatever you throw at them, um, and it's almost kind of you can do anything to them and they'll get better. The best athletes mm-hmm. in the world. The reality is, though, when we start following their programs as mere mortals, can't do it. We can't do it. Can't keep up. So people following like Rich Froning's program or Ben Smith's program online, it sounds nice because it's the champ. But you, you follow the champ. Oh, I'm doing exactly what he's first, doing. I'll, I'll be yeah. where he is in. No. So, firstly, this isn't what he was doing eight years ago, no. or ten years ago, or twelve years ago. You haven't got his genetics, his um, his lifestyle. Like you're different people. And so people are jumping in on like Ben Smith's blueprint, right? which is awesome fun to look at and watch. Like I'm not denying that. And some of the workouts are pretty cool. Um, but for me to go and do that, maybe I might get something out of it, but it's probably not going to be the most beneficial thing for me to do. I was, I was talking about this the other day with, just so happens Chris, who's now calling yeah, me, but yeah. um, we were talking about thrown in, right? Yeah. So we watched May and Mondays and he's... If you if you look at Froney, you never see him doing mobility, mm. and people just think, oh, he's just generally just mobile. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. If you look if you look carefully in May and Mondays, he's constantly doing mobility and stuff like that, and mm. it's just things like that. And people just jump on a program, yeah. think I'm going to be like him, but yeah. look look what they're doing in the background without yeah. when you think people aren't watching. And I don't know this for a fact, but I would wager that if we sort of like took apart his body, that the way his joints are made up. <clears throat> The limb lengths, uh, his physiology, he's almost like a perfect human being in terms of for the sport across mm-hmm. Um And you can't compare yourself to that and expect to get the same results from his program because he gets results from it. Yeah. And personally, I think that 95 to 99% of the people following that program, if you look at them in two to three years, if they stick with it, they'll be broken. Um, he might be able to like withstand it, but I think they'll be broken. Um, and that's it comes on to another good point, is that 
to truly like pursue athleticism isn't a healthy endeavor uh if we're looking and like this comes into oh, this the, is this is a sport this isn't for health no and if you look at athletes true athletes at top end of performance in any sport they are actually closer to sickness than they are to health. Yeah, yeah. If you look at that sickness wellness continuum, and that's what I talk about, like when we're peaking athletes for competition, I want them to be feeling tired and fatigued and like they can't be bothered to train. And uh, like Josh, who uh, is doing the French throwdown qualifiers uh, this at the moment, the other the other week just before, uh, he was like, I just feel like I've got nothing to give today. Like. I don't know what's wrong with me and like saying it in like a concerned way and I'm like this is perfect because yeah. we're deloading next week and then you are going to be ready to go on those qualifiers so you, from him saying that you can tell education. that everything that you've done previously yeah. you're in the right kind of area definitely yeah if someone's feeling really fresh and amazing leading into a competition you haven't given I'm, them enough or they haven't yeah given I probably enough. haven't pushed them hard enough and one running, one overriding theme that I've learned from um, my mentors is, you've got to be not, you've got to be not scared to push people pretty hard in that pre-competition phase, mm-hmm. uh, if they're truly serious about competing well, and you know you've built up that base um, of support in the year, and that really is what the whole year is about: is building up that base of support, accumulating enough volume safely, so that when it comes to that pre-competition, to that competition, they can handle the volume. Um, because if you know you've got an athlete and they're going into the open, they need to be able to do hundreds of, t- of chest to bar, not sets of five. Like they need to be able to do hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I've got the numbers written down somewhere, but like the overhead squat chest to bar workout from a couple of years ago, the reps that they needed to do in that certain period of time in like fifteen minutes um, was huge. What was it? It was like hundred and fifty maybe um, from a, from a couple of years ago. Yeah, and. And then when they weren't doing chest bars, their scap was under tension from an overhead squat. Mm-hmm. If you haven't accumulated that volume within your training, you're not going to be able to do Before, it. Yeah. Or you'll really badly hurt yourself. So it's about building that volume up. To build that volume up, people have got to be moving well. They've got to have the mobility and they've got to have the control in that range of motion. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of people don't. Um, so it's it, it's hard. There's a lot of things to address. With, and that's just one movement we're talking about there. Um and so there is a lot to think about when you're getting ready for someone for a competition and then adding the fact that you don't even know what's coming up in the competitions you know someone doing the open and someone doing a local competition um, or like a better athlete maybe doing regionals or what a palooza you don't know what the event's going to be you have an idea yeah. but you don't know yeah, yeah. Um, you know last year there was no chest of ours uh, so, like, and people will have trained Chester bars all year, look into the open because there's always Chester bars in the open, and then lo and behold, there's no Chester right, bar. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's take it back to the open. Uh, it's the first podcast we've done since the open. Yeah, let's have a look at uh, a few of the workouts and just go over what energy systems are being used in those workouts. Cool. So, as a caveat, we'll say it depends on the person. Yeah, depends on their strength levels. Um, but looking at seventeen point one um, dumbbell snatches and burpee box jump overs predominantly going to be very much driven by the aerobic system yeah um assuming the athlete has the strength to do the dumbbell snatches um and the strength to do the burpee box jump overs and that might sound weird but if we're taking like joe bloggs off the street and he can't do two push-ups if he's doing hundreds of burpee box jump overs which are basically plyometrics for the upper body he is 
going to be doing a massive amount of work. Yeah. You imagine putting a 20 kilo weighted vest on and doing burpee box jump overs, how much harder they would be. That's how it feels for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to do a massive amount of damage to his shoulders and stuff. So you've got to assume they've got the strength levels to do that. And if someone, say, has a 30 kilo max snatch and they don't have very good overhead mobility, those dumbbell snatches are going to be hard work. They're going to be like a one rep max. Yeah. Right. So it's actually for him going to be more of a, a CP battery, like creatine phosphate workout. Okay. That's going to be his limiter, muscular endurance. That, that's for Joe Blogs off the street. Yeah. Now, um, for the majority of athletes who have got well developed um, energy systems, it will have been a muscular endurance slash aerobic piece, high end aerobic power. Yeah. Um, you're looking at sort of like 10 to 15 minutes of work, constantly moving at quite a high turnover rate. Um, and then pushing hard at the end, it's going to be aerobic with some glycolytic in. Okay. Um, so let's look at 17.2, which was the uh, walking lunge. Two rounds, mm-hmm. uh, 16 toes to bar, eight power cleans. Yep. Then two rounds of, uh, again, weighted walking lunge, 16 muscle ups and eight power cleans. What, what are we going to be hitting that? Um, again, it depends. Um, but for me, I'm immediately looking at that and thinking it's very grippy. Mm-hmm. Uh, grip's going to be a limiting factor for a lot of people. If you've got a well-developed aerobic system, uh, it's probably not going to be breathing that challenges you there. It's going to mm-hmm. be grip or upper body muscular endurance. Okay. Uh, if we think we're going from the weighted walking lunge where your upper body's supporting the dumbbells. Yeah, toes to bar. Uh, toes where you're gr- gripping and hip flexion. Um, and then the power cleans where, you're, again, you're gripping yeah. a lot. It's all grip, 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 grip. Um, so yeah, probably going to be some sort of upper body muscular endurance limiter for most sort of high end athletes. Okay. Um, again, for lower end athletes, it's like, can you do a muscle up? Are you strong enough to do the power cleans? That sort of thing. Okay, uh, seventeen point three, um, which was oh, chest to bar pull ups. Um, Don't try explaining this. It's too yeah, long. Yeah, I was going to say there's, there's it's, a lot involved in this one. It's an ascending ladder of chest bars and a descending ladder of squat snatches at increasing weight. This is classic CrossFit. Like, the pull-ups... Uh, so basically, you need to have well-developed gymnastics for this mm-hmm. and also very well-developed de- skill um, in the Olympic lifts and strength. Um, if you don't, you're going to really struggle. I, this is so varied for so many people. I'm not going to say it's a certain energy system. Yeah. Uh, and really, I should be saying that for every workout. Let's talk about the, the top-end athletes. So top-end athletes, this is going to be... Uh, obviously, a limiter is your max snatch. So um, if you if the last barbell is your one rep max, you're obviously, that's going to be a massive challenge to lift. And so yeah. you probably want to be looking... So say an athlete like finds the chest of bars really comfortable... Uh, they're not an issue at all, but then they get to the last bar and they just physically can't lift it. You're looking at actually their um, absolute strength uh, or strength speed being a limiter for the athlete. Um, maybe it's a case of their shoulders or their grip really fatigued during the workout. Then maybe you're looking at muscular endurance being a limiter. Yeah. Or maybe it just really, really causes them to blow up. Then maybe the conditioning is a limiter. The aerobic system's a limiter. Right, okay. That's a very basic way of looking at it. Um, so you want to ideally want to keep aerobic in this workout. You want to keep aerobic in every workout you do. Yeah, you want to. This be is sustainable. a slightly longer workout than. <clears throat> yeah, it's a slightly, very slightly longer workout. Um, but this is highly complex and individual. Okay, so we're going to go on to seventeen point four. 
which was it's the 13, 13 minute, minute yeah uh right let's look at that so deadlifts wall balls um row and handstand push-ups so like with every workout oh, this was the repeat wasn't it yeah you need to have a good aerobic base to be able to keep putting that power output out for lower end athletes if you if you know if you're max if it's close to your max deadlift then it's become that's going to become a, a limiter like strength endurance yeah your ability to keep picking up close to your one rep max so if my max deadlift is 120 and the deadlift is 100 yeah, is, kilos yeah. is it is it though jay um you're, you're going to be really grinding those reps out and you're gonna to have to break it into much smaller pieces if your one rep max is like 230 or 240 then it's less than 50 percent yeah and it becomes like a muscular endurance piece Should where just be able to maintain that quite easily. Yeah, and it's where is your lower back blowing up or your hamstrings blowing up? Is your grip blowing up on that? Looking to go into the wall balls as well, where for the majority of athletes that will become again muscular endurance whilst under fatigue, so breathing heavily. So this is where it becomes a mixture because can our aerobic system support that constant output? Mm-hmm. Um, and can our creatine phosphate system support the muscular endurance end and they interplay massively almost to the point where I don't really know how to describe it um, does that make sense yeah like, well no it doesn't but yeah I know what you yeah, mean yeah it's, it's kind of hard to like identify oh you're weak in your aerobic system so this has to be what we work on um, <clears throat> the way we'd identify that is by putting together lots of different testers in similar um, ways and seeing is there, a, is there an overriding theme my lower back always blows up Okay, so you're not using your glutes and your hamstrings properly. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm always gassed and like struggling to breathe. Okay, so maybe we want to look at your develop- the development of your aerobic system, uh, your ability to pace mix motor work. Why is that? Are you a more powerful athlete and so you just don't know how to? Um, are you a more enduring athlete and actually you're just really weak and the movements are so heavy for you that that is causing you to feel gassed, but actually you're just not strong enough? It becomes pretty complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, lastly, uh, 17.5 which was 10 rounds per time, nine thrusters, and 35 double-unders. So again, the limiter there, for a lot of people, are they strong enough to constantly move 40 kilo, 43 kilos uh, in the thrusters again and again and again, 90 reps? Um, and the double-unders, it's a skill. Have you got the skill? If you have, how consistent is it? Let's assume that it's, it, they're a skilled athlete who can consistently do double-unders, and they are more than strong enough to do the thrusters unbroken all the way. That becomes... Uh, an aerobic muscular endurance limiter so uh it's going to become quite fatiguing and high respiration yeah uh, especially in terms of that front rack position um and the double unders could be quite fatiguing on the shoulders and the forearms but again it comes into things like what's your mobility and movement like in the thrusters if you're in a tight position and your thoracic is jacked up and you're not able to breathe properly on the thrusters you're going to struggle to get the oxygen into the system and uh, like you're going to struggle to create the power that you need to maybe the double unders you're inefficient and you use your shoulders a lot and so your scap becomes really tired and all the uh, stabilizing muscles in the shoulder because ideally you should be looking to use those double unders as rest yeah i mean they, they shouldn't be the, the sort of limiter mm-hmm. um, but then again you should say the thrusters shouldn't be the limiter either so again, there's no clear answer. It depends on the athlete. Yeah. And I think the overriding theme there is that the open is a very um, aerobic dominant piece, a high skill piece, and also very much muscular endurance based. If you don't have those pieces, you're not going to do well in the open. Um, is that is that safe to say that the the regionals, if you get that far, is going to be exactly the same? 
No, I think the regional regionals. There's always different and different elements of the workout. Higher skill levels, um, higher strength levels, and different. Uh, plays on the workouts so at regionals last year we saw the snatch ladder mm-hmm. that's just purely snatching um, and there's never really anything like that in the open I know like four or five years ago there was a snatch ladder but it was much higher reps um, and things like handstand walks running so you have a lot more variables at regionals to play with and they they, they make the workouts a lot more varied in terms of the the energy systems that they're attacking so like a handstand walk and snatch is very very different to the sort of workouts you're going to get in the open i'd call the open the shitty shit i've stolen that from james fitzgerald like that's the nasty horrible workouts regionals there will be workouts like that but it's slightly different um and then the games they start introducing like absolute speed and things like that like just a pure 50 meter sprint Mm -hmm. um or things you can't really test for in the open it's just not it's just not practical Um, so yeah they're they're massively limited in the open as to what they can actually test Um, which is kind of good and also kind of bad like if we're looking for a true test of fitness is it a true test of fitness because the some of the stronger athletes aren't getting to regionals because they don't have the capacity to get through the open so that's that's not not fitness if they're just strong yeah yeah, it's it's kind of a hard one to discuss and it's not criticism of the sport it's just a a fact of the yeah. sport really um, and I guess yeah cro- like CrossFit would say we're looking for the most well-rounded athlete and so but are they getting that from the Open I don't know I, I don't have I think they're trying to, to get that more from the games because it looks like they may be bringing in a bike a bike ride of some sort well they, they do they always have a longer endurance piece at the games you know they did the triathlon a few years ago they always have the swims um, they did the trail run this year Um it would be good to see a longer piece. Like, mm. well, they did the marathon row, like something yeah. like that. Oh, that That's brutal. Awful. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of anything worse. Yeah. Um, so, I think, like, to sum up, the biggest thing to say about energy systems is it. It depends. Mm-hmm. It's really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> There's no simple answers. No. And like for me, I've been digging into this for like four or five years now, and I still have so many questions. I'm still learning so much, and I look at what I was prescribing to people four or five years ago, and I'm like shaking my head like what was I doing so if you were uh, an athlete of Tom's four or five years ago um, you can get in touch to get your money back well I think any good strength coach is constantly learning and so in five years time hopefully I'll look back and think I was doing that wrong yeah. I'm doing this wrong doing that wrong but all you can do is learn and develop as you learn um, and again any good coach needs to be constantly challenging their perceptions never take anything like as um, for granted don't just be told something and believe it. You've got to constantly question those theories that are put forwards to you. Um, hence going on courses and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just reading and listening as much as possible. It's uh, yeah, it's a deep rabbit hole to go down. And what? how long have we been going now? Uh, 35 minutes. 35 minutes. We could talk for another six hours yeah. about it and still not be anywhere closer to an, an answer. I think that was a good summary. Yeah. 35 minutes worth, I think. You got fair, sick, yeah, sick yeah. You got a bang for your buck. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll close it there. Cool. Um, if anyone could leave us a review, that'd be yeah, very much appreciated. Yeah. Next time, I think we'll hopefully in the next couple of episodes we'll have some people in mm-hmm. to talk some about their guests. general fields. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for now we'll see you in episode five. Yeah. Uh, see you Thanks soon. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.